This episode is brought to you by The One Summit, two days that would change your life forever. For tickets, go to theonesummit.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Pull up a rock by the campfire. It's time for that paleo show with your hosts, Sarah Stewart, Steve Hayter, and the man with no shoes, Brett Hill. Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Sarah Stewart. I'm Steve Hayter. And I'm Brett Hill. Today's guest has an amazing and diverse career. He is a scientist with a PhD in physics, as well as being an astrophysicist, turned internet entrepreneur and executive, turned strategy consultant and economist. His wife is a molecular biologist and cancer researcher. Can you imagine the dinner conversations that these guys have? So more recently, they've been investigating the influence of diet upon health, and after adopting a low-carb diet in 2005, they immediately noticed their energy, vitality, and sense of well-being improve significantly. Since then, they have spent a number of years refining their nutrition and have successfully healed their own middle age and chronic health problems through diet. Naturally, throughout this process, they have learned a great deal about the benefits and pitfalls of these diets and have documented this wisdom in their amazing book, Perfect Health Diet. This book is a wonderful read and it really helps to connect the void between what can be a quite broadly based intuitive primal approach to health and the scientific facts. We are really excited to have the opportunity once again to speak with a very knowledgeable source who will hopefully help us connect some more of those puzzle pieces today. Welcome back to the show, Paul Jaminet. Oh, it's great to be with you, Sarah. We're really excited to have you on, Paul, and I know that it's uh, not your first time with us, so um, welcome back. We know that you've um, been on an amazing journey of discovery and we can't wait to hear more about it, Paul. For those of us that perhaps um, haven't heard you the first time around on the show, could you start just by perhaps filling us in uh, in regards to what led up to you being so interested in examining the correlation between diet and health? Well, it was really uh, my own health problems and my wife's. And, uh, you know, we felt ourselves getting a little bit sicker every year for about 15 years. And every year we'd go to the doctor and the doctor would say, well, uh, I don't really know what's wrong with you. And uh, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't find any medical treatments that would help. Uh, but then we tried the paleo diet in 2005 and that made big differences. And, uh, some of them were good, some were bad. Uh, but, uh, it was exciting because it, it changed things. And so we figured if we can keep the good, but fix the bad, then, uh, we'd really have something. And we spent five years working on that. And that eventually became the perfect health diet. Um, so I would describe that as, uh, you know, sort of a more moderate form of paleo primal, uh, an ancestral diet that actually turns out to resemble gourmet cuisines. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot, it's a lot more like classic French cuisine or Thai cuisine or Japanese, Chinese. Um, and, uh, and that's actually, you know, it, uh, it surprised us when we noticed that, uh, but it turns out we probably should have guessed it because 
uh, it makes sense that our brain would have evolved to make us like things that are good for us. And, and so when we finally get to the best diet, the diet that's most good for us, it should be delicious. Absolutely. And um, Paul, I was uh, revisiting your episode with us last time, episode 17, for those who want to go back and have a bit of a listen to accompany this episode. And uh, speaking of, of brain evolution and brain health, um, we spoke about last time about uh, a ketogenic diet and uh, the benefits it can have to things like uh, you, you mentioned uh, there's about nine years of, of uh, history and research around ketogenic diets and epilepsy. Um, you spoke about um, how good it is for neurological conditions like migraines and, and potential benefits to cancer. Um, I was wondering, since we spoke to you last time, has this has this come up in, in the scientific literature, literature and, um, and what, have, what have you sort of discovered since that time about the benefits of ketogenic diets in those areas? Um, well, I would say the situation hasn't hasn't changed very much. It's it's the ketogenic diets are clearly highly beneficial for a lot of people who um, have genetic mutations, which make them uh, have difficulty on uh, higher carb diets. And so often those conditions show up first in the brain and the nerves, so you get neurological disorders. And pretty much anyone who has some kind of neurological disorder or a mental health condition um, should really try a, a ketogenic diet um, because the brain and the nerves, they, they basically can either use glucose or uh, ketones for energy. And if glucose isn't working, then you know the only way you're going to get relief is to be on a ketogenic diet. Um, so that's really the, uh, you know, the best indicated uh, condition in which in which you want to try a ketogenic diet. Uh, cancer is a little more speculative, uh, but there have been some studies where they put uh, mice on a ketogenic diet and they do better against cancer. Um, and we still have a lot to learn, though, about um, exactly when the ketogenic diet may be beneficial and when when it isn't. Yeah, and I guess that's the question I think a lot of our fans had after the interview last time, Paul, is that, you know, obviously throughout the paleo diet, there's a whole range of different, uh, I guess, ways people do the paleo diet, and certainly some of those do do a very sort of low-carb approach to the paleo diet, and I think for a lot of those fans, or for some of those fans anyway, they sort of gave us some feedback saying, well, look, I've been doing this low-carb paleo, and, you know, it seems to be working for me, and, you know, perhaps when I do reintroduce some of these safe starches, then I notice you know, perhaps changes in my blood sugar or my metabolism or my hormone regulation or, you know, whatever it was for them that sort of led them down that low-carb approach in the first place. Um, so I guess my question for you is, you know, how do people know when they should do that low-carb approach or when perhaps introducing more of these safe starches would be a good way for them? Well, I think for almost everyone, there's going to be benefits introducing the safe starches and unless you need to be on a ketogenic diet through uh, you know, some kind of condition like genetic mutations that, uh, you know, that make handling carbs uh, difficult. Um, it, you know, glucose and carbohydrates, they are an important nutrient, which our, our body needs to make uh, large parts of the body. So our extracellular matrix is very carbohydrate rich. And so are all the lubricating compounds in our body, like in our joints, or the mucus uh, that lines our sinuses, respiratory, uh, the lungs, the intestine. Um, 
So we definitely benefit by having some carbs in the diet, or even if we can get by without them, uh, the diet is much more robust when we're obtaining uh, carbohydrates from the diet rather than having to work around their absence. So, um, you know, so I think most people will do better having some carbs in the diet. And uh, now uh, people who have gone low carb uh, because of diabetes or because of some infection, uh, often gut infections like uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and they find the symptoms get relieved uh, when they go low carb. And then, you know, but if they haven't cured the underlying condition, then uh, the symptoms can flare up. I think we've lost him. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, are you able to hear me? <laughs> yeah, we just we just lost you for a little bit there, Paul. Okay. Um, where did you lose me? I think probably the last sentence. It was pretty brief. Yeah, it was only a few seconds. Small intestine bacteria. Okay, yeah. So um, people often struggle with, uh, uh, you know, often the reason that they go low carb is because they've got uh, diabetes or prediabetes or they have some kind of infection like a bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine uh, that, uh, where the bacteria feed on carbohydrates. And they can relieve symptoms a little bit if, if they go low carb. Um, but the trouble is going low carb can also uh, suppress immunity and it may, not, uh, it may not clear the infection. And so the infection is still there and when you add the carbs back in, you get, you know, the symptoms flare up again. And uh, so really the best thing to do is actually uh, to eat a curative diet, you know, one that enables your immune system to work well and enables you to recover. And so often, you know, the carbs are not really the main issue. Uh, the main issue are, the main issues are nutritional deficiencies, you know, things like Vitamin A, vitamin D are very crucial for immunity in the gut um, or a bad lifestyle, mm. uh, not exercising, not in training circadian rhythms, uh, never fasting. Um, so there's a lot of nutritional and lifestyle things you can do to fix some of the problems that lead people to go low carb. And, um, and often, you know, when people go very low carb, uh, it can often cause as many problems as it, uh, it can hurt as many things as it helps. And just, just sort of following up on that, Paul, because um, I guess, you know, some, I guess, and I should preface this by saying for me, I have found that by adding a few, you know, by going low carb, I didn't do as well as when I reintroduced a little bit more carbs into my diet. So I, sh- I should preface that by saying that's where I'm coming from. But, but I guess the, the question it raises for me is if there are some conditions we now know about that perhaps we didn't know about before, that, that they do do better on that very low carb or low carb diet. Do you think maybe there are other things out there that, that might cause people to do better on a low-carb diet that we don't even know about yet? And so some of those people might benefit from going low-carb, even though we don't necessarily know those conditions yet. Does that question make sense? Um, yeah, I think uh, but I think those conditions are pretty rare. I, I think for the most part, um, you know, most people 
their optimum will be pretty close to 30% carb. And if you're diabetic, it might be closer to 20% carb. Um, you know, but it's very rare that your optimum will be below that. Yeah. And, you know, some of these conditions where you need a ketogenic diet, you might need to go down to maybe 10% carb in order to get uh, the benefits of ketosis. Um, but almost never would you want to go to zero. And, um, and, when you're eating those low carb diets, uh, there's there's actually there's a lot of plant and carbohydrate associated nutrients which you can easily uh, get into nutrient deficiencies, um, and it's it's actually it's a semi starvation diet uh, because we need a certain amount of carbs and protein uh, to uh, you know operate. Uh, 100%. So you're definitely sacrificing something when you go to a very low carb diet. And, you know, whether those sacrifices will, you know, have a big impact on lifespan, I think we don't have enough evidence yet. Uh, they can certainly, they'll certainly make your diet less robust, your health a little less robust, you'll be a little less able to deal with some threats. And, um, and I think there may be risks in those uh, very low carb diets long term that you know we don't fully appreciate yet. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's really um, refreshing. You know, with all of this conversation and discussion, we can continue refining what we know and what we don't know, and and looking at ways to to come up with solutions that fit us as individuals. And I guess in that pursuit. Um, we've got a, a listener's question from Lucy Lichtenstein, who's um, interested in, uh, you know, a step on from nutrition. She wants to know about circadian rhythms and perhaps if you could suggest some ways that um, people could look at resetting their circadian rhythms um, if they've had issues previously. Yeah, well, that's a great question because circadian rhythms are extremely important for health. So, um, you know, in terms of impact on longevity and disease risk over the long term, you know, probably circadian rhythms are the single most important thing you can do. Um, so what I would recommend is set up your own personal 12-hour day and 12-hour night, have your own schedule. You can shape your environment to give yourself bright, natural white light during your 12-hour day and give yourself uh, darkness or red, yellow, orange, amber light. Uh, during your nighttime period. Um, try to get all of the stressful things and active things that you need to do done during your daytime and get all of your food intake into the daytime. Um, so all of this is a little bit, uh, you know, it's a little bit challenging to arrange it this way because we all have about 16 hours worth of active things we want to do and only about eight hours of restful things we want to do. Um, but it's pretty important. So um, you know, what I would suggest is finding all the things in your life that are a little relaxing, you know, things like reading email or, you know, browsing the internet and, uh, or listening to music or relaxing type exercises like say yoga or meditation. Or perhaps really um, good podcasts, Paul. That'd be yeah, that's right. Um, now, um, actually, social interactions are more of a daytime activity. Uh, so hearing voices and looking at faces are a little bit of a daytime thing. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, 
but uh, if you don't look at the faces of you know the, that that paleo show host, then maybe listening to their voices isn't so bad. Uh, especially if they have strange accents, uh, I think that might <laughs> moderate. The, uh, uh, good the one. Effect. Isn't that isn't that so funny though, Paul? Like you know, you gave a bit of a prescription there for um, uh, activities to do to help with your circadian rhythm, and I was just sitting there going, "These things are so basic." And then I I uh, came to think how uh, much activity we have in our life now that these things need to be re re prescribed to us as uh, you know, do relaxing activities at night and try to limit your activity to the day and eating during the day and um, it's it's just a it's um, it's simple but so effective. Um, my my question um, is to do with uh, intermittent fasting. We did touch on it a little bit last interview, but uh, I saw recently um, an article that was shared by a bunch of people. Um, like Mark, uh, Mark Sisson and um, um, Jimmy Moore were talking about the uh, effect of three days of fasting um, having a, a, a really great restorative effect on the immune system. Uh, and I'm not sure if you saw that particular article, but I was just wondering if you could um, uh, give us your thoughts on what you thought about um, the effectiveness of that and uh, perhaps a little bit of the science behind it. Good one. Yeah, well, fasting is really uh, terrific for health, and that's a that's a very important part of our program uh, that we recommend. What we generally recommend is a is a much less strenuous approach, but much more uh, sustainable, uh, which is daily intermittent fasting. So we recommend doing a sixteen hour fast every night and limiting all your calorie intake to an eight hour window during the daytime. And so ideally, uh, food intake would start about three hours after the start of your 12-hour day and finish about one hour before the end. Um, and, you know, so that would be the perfect uh, meal timing. Um, and, you know, now you can do, you can do longer fasts like these three-day three-day fasts, and scientists, when they do studies, they like to, you know, do, have you do something really hard, uh, and but really short, so that they can get the study over with and, and publish a paper as soon as possible. Uh, you know, so they don't like necessarily giving you a much less strenuous thing where it takes longer to see the effects, and you might not obey, um, and, you know, you might need to take weeks or months to get the study done. Um, but, you know, it's clear that fasting in any form is really important for our health. And, uh, you know, for example, just putting mice on a not very, you know, on a, uh, on a daily, you know, extended overnight fast extends their lifespan about 50%. Uh, so it raises their... Uh, lifespan from 22 months to 33 months or so. And so, you know, that's a huge impact. And, uh, uh, you know, there aren't many interventions we can do that are, are likely to have as big an impact on our health as occasional fasting. Yeah, and that's, um, that's pretty, pretty big news because uh, there's not too many people that have been bought up um, 
that are you know not the three meals a day so there's always the body's always processing food all the time no matter what and when certainly from a, um, a primal perspective uh, fasting does make sense from a restorative and healing approach and even um, over here in Australia at the moment it's winter time and the cold and flu season has definitely kicked in and um, yeah this this uh, question I think is is very relevant at the moment isn't it funny what the body does when you get a cold the appetite is suppressed and and you're not feeling like eating which is the body's way of saying hold up a sec I've, I've got some healing to do here um, and just a follow-up question Paul uh, I guess uh, narrowing in and being a little bit more specific um, is there anybody who perhaps um, that overnight extended fast would not be suitable for or fasting uh, altogether um, well there are definitely people for whom it's more stressful uh, so people with adrenal insufficiency um, or, um, you know, problems, hormonal uh, regulation problems will find it more stressful to fast. On the other hand, in most of those conditions, intermittent fasting is actually curative for the, you know, problems that are disrupting their hormones. So most of those hormones operate on a circadian rhythm. And when you do the nightly intermittent fasting and then concentrate your food intake in a short window, uh, you tend to uh, help organize your, your circadian rhythms and those hormones tend to normalize. Um, so it's actually healing to engage in intermittent fasting, uh, but you may need to reduce the stress of the fast. And so first, uh, if you think about starvation, you know, when do people run into problems first? Uh, the first thing to tend to are fluids and electrolytes. All right, so you need to be able to drink some water. You may need some salt. You may need some potassium. So you could eat, you know, something like a banana. Uh, magnesium, calcium might be beneficial. You can supplement. Uh, and then the next thing you, you run into problems with is, is with protein. And... So if the fast is stressful, uh, then I would eat something, but you don't need to make it a full meal. You know, you can eat a little piece of leftover meat or a hard-boiled egg. Um, and, you know, so if the electrolytes and water didn't, wasn't enough uh, to relieve the fast, then just have a small amount of protein uh, and try and continue the fast. And what we find... You know, we've had a bunch of people come to our perfect health retreats and say, oh, I can't fast. I just get, I don't tolerate it. I get, you know, too hungry. Uh, but then they find when they're there uh, that they actually can fast just fine. And it usually only takes a couple of days for them to get used to it. And sometimes the problem is they, you know, when they've tried fasting, they didn't eat enough food the prior day. And, you know, so if you're starving yourself, then it's going to be very hard to fast. Um, but even if you have a health condition that makes it difficult to fast, it can still be quite good for you to fast, and you just need to eat a little bit in order to relieve the stress of the fast. Uh, but it's still beneficial to do, you know, some some kind of fasting. Um, Paul, the next topic I'd really like to talk about, which uh, which I noticed on your website has been a bit of a conversation topic of recent times, is alcohol. And uh, I noticed you were talking about that in relation to your perfect health retreat. Um, so I'd love you to talk a little bit about perhaps about your perfect health retreat and what that was all about, but also you know the discussion you had around whether or not to serve alcohol there 
and, and whether or not alcohol is a good thing to be included in your perfect health diet. Yeah, well, alcohol is a bit of a puzzle. All right. So uh, the perfect health retreats, we've, um, uh, you know, we found a lot of people uh, said, well, um, you know, your book is really good, but it's also very science rich. And, you know, there's interesting things you're saying on every page. So, you know, our approach was that uh, there's really many, many things that you need to optimize in order to be healthy. There are really hundreds of aspects of diet and nutrition and lifestyle that influence our health. And we don't really know how important any single one of them is. And really, the way to fix your health is to fix all of them, you know, optimize everything. And so that's our approach. And, you know, but that can be a little tricky for people to just read a book and figure out how to implement it in life. So we started these retreats and, you know, we create the environment, we provide the food, uh, you know, we provide exercise classes, we provide, you know, cooking classes before every meal. And, uh, you know, so people can uh, live the life, you know, we have all the circadian rhythm uh, things built in. We have orange-yellow lighting at night, you know, bright natural white lights during the day. Uh, we do it in a luxury location on a beach, and, you know, there's uh, lots of good exercise. We've got physical trainers and, and so on. So, uh, you know, you get to have a, a terrific vacation, but also, you know, experience living uh, what we think is the optimally healthy lifestyle while you're there. And, but, you know, life should be pleasurable as well. So, um, you know, and things like a little bit of alcohol can, you know, can be a very pleasurable uh, accompaniment to dinner. And in terms of the health impact of alcohol, it's kind of curious. Moderate alcohol consumption, like, you know, one or two glasses of wine, say, with dinner, um, is, is associated with really good health. You know, the people who, who drink a little bit of wine tend to have better health than the people who abstain. And it, that's a bit of a puzzle, uh, why that is. And it's definitely the case that alcohol can cause problems. So some people get disrupted sleep, you know, even if they drink only a little. So, you know, it's, it's, a, bit of a, it's a bit of a puzzle because we don't know why alcohol seems to benefit a lot of people. You know, it might be relaxation you know, relieving stress. We know stress is very harmful. You know, it might help put them into that relaxed night frame of mind, help them with the transition from daytime to nighttime. Um, you know, it could have an impact on circadian rhythms. Uh, it could do other things that's been proposed. Uh, it, it's known that alcohol helps reduce the toxicity of methanol. And people who smoke or who drink a lot of diet soda uh, can get methanol poisoning. Um, so, you know, it's, it's sort of a complex question. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I think, I think everybody kind of has to judge for themselves whether alcohol is helping them or hurting them. Uh, and, and if you drink too much alcohol, it will definitely hurt you. So if you drink, you know, if you binge drink, that's gonna, that's gonna do you harm. 
Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting debate, isn't it, Paul? And, and we got to have similar debates. So we just had our cave camp in the Adelaide Hills, and we've got our next one coming up in in Queensland in October. And uh, and we kind of had the we, we did we weren't, weren't as nice as you, Paul. We didn't allow alcohol at our cave camp, <laughs> but we did have the same sort of debates, I guess, around like uh, you know paleo treats and you know how much of your your menu is you know some nicer sort of treat stuff, and how much of it is just the the sort of plain simple food, and how you get that balance right, I guess, as well. So you know, there's always that thing of well, you want everyone to have fun and enjoy it and, and be, you know, I guess, uh, feel like they can enjoy that lifestyle and then also wanting to make sure they're getting all the health benefits as well. So, you know, it's an, always an interesting balance, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it is very important that life be enjoyable and, uh, you know, people, people won't sustainable. Continue, yeah, people won't continue a lifestyle that isn't, you know, pleasant and enjoyable and, you know, it should be fairly easy and that's one thing we try to do is you know, teach people how can you shape your environment and, you know, choose your meals, you know, develop a cooking plan that's both at the same time, it's very helpful, but it's also very easy uh, to implement. And if you shape your environment correctly, then it can be very easy to, you know, do the right things to live uh, the right way. And that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? Having a a lifestyle that's easy, but um, supportive of, of optimal health. And um, Paul, I know you've been really busy since the last time that um, Brett got to speak to you and the, the other co-hosts. Um, what have you been up to? I understand that you've been doing some work with the Ancestral Health Society. Yeah, that's right. So the Ancestral Health Society is um, um, it, it's sort of the umbrella nonprofit organization around the ancestral health community, and it's trying to bring a uh, um, a more, it's trying to help bring the ancestral health approach into the mainstream of the uh, biomedical and scientific communities. And, um, and I'm on the board of directors of the society. And last year we launched a scholarly journal called the Journal of Evolution and Health. And I'm one of the editors. And uh, so we're, we're trying to uh, help ancestral health community scholars and doctors uh, publish, but we're also trying to, you know, help bring in a lot of mainstream scholars and develop some scholarly intercourse with the uh, ancestral health community. And we really hope to have a lot of influence. So, uh, you know, my wife was just talking today with uh, um, a leading uh, uh important figure at Harvard Medical School who's interested in uh, evaluating diet and health for cancer patients and, you know, interventions as an adjunct to uh, medical therapies for cancer. And, you know, I think our ancestral health approaches really do work extremely well, you know, better than, better than most uh, medical interventions. And I think, you know, there's going to be a steadily growing interest in uh, the mainstream medical and science communities in, you know, what uh, what can be done with natural diet and lifestyle approaches. So I think we're really well positioned to have a lot of influence and, uh, you, you know, we're hoping to really make a lot of progress. 
That is super exciting and, and certainly something that um, we're keen to support as well. You know, a healthier world's going to be a better place for us all to live in. And, you know, if we can do that naturally, why wouldn't we share it? So, um, Paul, we feel privileged every week to be able to talk to amazing minds and inspiration, inspirational people like yourself. So thank you so much for joining us once again. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great fun to talk to you. Awesome. Well, um, for all of our beautiful listeners at home, you can keep the information flowing by following Paul on Twitter and also liking The Perfect Health Diet on Facebook. And also do yourself an epic favor and get a copy of Paul's book, Perfect Health Diet. Um, it is Chris Cress's publication of choice, so that says um, volumes. And Chris actually suggests this book for his readers, uh, and it is the ultimate tool that tells you exactly how to optimize health and also to make weight loss effortless and it's got a clear balanced scientifically proven plan Uh, and I can also highly recommend taking some time to jump onto the website perfecthealthdiet.com it's got heaps of super comprehensive um, blog posts recipes resources and just a bunch of stuff that will absolutely blow your mind and and keep you um, inspired along the way. So we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we did. Make sure you head over to our website, thatpaleoshow.com. Tell us what you think. And until next week, check us out on Facebook and Instagram, share your story and help to grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Hi, it's Damien Christoph here. It's less than 100 days until the Wellness Summit and we are jumping out of our skins to be with you at Crown Melbourne on Saturday, August 16 and 17, 2014. If you want to take your summit experience to a whole new level, then I urge you to join us as a VIP. This year, we have two VIP levels, not just one, two. We have gold and platinum. Both include front row seats, DVD recordings of the event, goodies from our speakers, intimate VIP only time with the speakers and massive vouchers which can be used on future wellness couch events and products to take your summit experience to the next level go to www.thewellnesssummit.com but be quick vip spots are limited and they will sell out see you at the summit this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter the wellness couch streaming wellness into your lives Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.